All right, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 and verse, uh, the last section, verse 32. Down through verse number 37. Going to, Lord willing, going to finish up this chapter today. We're also going to read a short portion from Acts chapter 2 because it relates directly to this section. All right, so verse 32 of Acts chapter 4 says this, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought, that just means anything. You know, sometimes Paul's there saying, sometimes, when, you know, when the Bible says, if you have ought against your brother, people, <laughs> sometimes I laugh because people think that's a thing. It, like, people think the word ought means, like, they're angry. But actually, the word ought means anything. It just means anything. So whatever you think it means is what it means. All right? Anything. It says, uh, that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And this is the main theme of uh, the, the, early, the early church, the Jerusalem church especially. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is, being interpreted, the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, while you're there, look at chapter 2. We've already covered this section, but I'll just read it just because it's, it's common. Verse number uh, 44 of chapter 2 says, And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. All right, let's pray together. Our Lord in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to meet together as your church uh, in this place. Lord, thank you for each and every person here. Thank you for the people that, have, uh, that are listening in, those that have set time out of their schedule to prioritize seeking your face with one another. Thank you for them. Please, Lord, uh, fill their cup. Give them, Lord, what they need. Because, Lord, you know that each and every day, <clears throat> not just on Wednesdays and on Sundays, but every day, we wake up needing you. And Lord, I pray that you'd give them that which they need and the guidance and understanding and wisdom and stir their hearts through the message uh, this, this evening. Lord, please help them to listen attentively and help me to say the things that you want me to say. And I pray that the Word of God would really uh, be significant to us as we look at these various scriptures. Lord, we just commit this time to you. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Acts chapter 4, uh, there's a few principles here I want to cover because this section about the, the section about the, the poor in the church and how that they how that they responded to those that were in the church, I think is, is important. But I, I want to let's read it verse 32 again. And I want to point out one thing that kind of stands out before we look at the, the section about the poor. The Bible says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart. And of one soul. 
Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. So the church at this time, you have to understand, is at a high point spiritually. And it's, it's really exemplary, we, and we've already looked at that, how that this kind of sets the tone for the rest. We, in 2023, we are also part of this same church, the Church of God, right? Just a different generation. And we look back at this church as an example to us. We look back at this church so that we can see how we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do. And uh, so uh, a lot of the things in this church are exemplary, and, and one of the things is in verse 32 and in chapter 2, how that they had all things common. And of course, we know that that wasn't a policy that the church required to be a member. You had to sign and place your thumbprint and you know, agree to having, you know, emptying your bank account like David Koresh or something. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. How many of you remember David Koresh? Yes. I, uh, I saw a show or something about, about that recently, and uh, that's why it came to my mind. But So they had all things common, but what is interesting to me is that the Bible says they were of one heart and one soul, but then they were also of one set of goods. That's what, that's what I want you to see. They were of one heart and one soul, but they, but they also considered their goods to be one. It was all common. In other words, there was one, basically everyone who owned property or owned whatever they owned, whatever's in their bank account, if they had bank accounts back then, that was, they, they just considered that to be everyone. So one heart, one soul, one purse. You might say it like that. Now what the church was doing with their money and, and, of course, we know one heart and one soul deals with this on the spiritual aspect, right? But the money deals with the physical aspect. But what you're seeing spiritually in this church, how that there is great unity and oneness and harmony, what they were doing spiritually was also shown in what they did physically. What, what the church was doing with their money and goods was just a demonstration in physical things of what was happening in the church spiritually. In other words, see, whenever, you're, whenever the Lord really works in your heart, it's not just words. It's not, it's not just something you say and talk about and brag about and, and praise the Lord about. It must also affect your decisions and your life. And that's, that's the effect, the natural effect of a spiritual awakening. And that's, what's, that's kind of what's happening here. And so they, because they were of one heart and one soul, they were also one in goods. Because the Bible says they had all things common. And as I said, this was not something that the church, this was spontaneous. This was voluntary. And we've, we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to repeat you know, at length, everything I said when we covered Acts chapter 2. But what we do know is that this was, this was spontaneous, this was voluntary. And uh, you could see that in verse number 32 because it says, Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. So this, this deals with what they're saying about their own goods. Now, they didn't, turn, they didn't sign the deed over to the church or anything like that. But they counted what they had, their land, their goods, their possessions. They counted it as common. What does that mean? That means they had a very loose hold on it. They had a very loose hold on it. And actually, that's, a, that's actually a feature 
of a true spiritual revival or awakening. Coming up in a couple weeks, a few weeks, we're having a, a, a revival. We're, we're calling it an anniversary revival. But really, it's really not properly called that. It's just a meeting. It's a, it's a meeting we're having, an anniversary celebration meeting. But the revival is something we pray for. The revival is something we ask God to do in us. But it's a true spiritual revival. I like the word awakening. Uh, a true spiritual awakening does have, does have as a feature, it affects people's goods. How many of you have been in what, what you consider to be a, not unique, but a, a kind of somewhat rare, real revival? You've been, in, you've, you've been a part of one where things were happening that God was doing that just broke out of the, of the regular plan of service. How many of you have been in something like that that you would consider, even if it's brief, it always affects people's goods. It always changes the way they look upon their possessions. Always. And that's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. All of a sudden, people, when you have a true spiritual awakening and revival, people are, are, have a lot, a lot lighter grip on what they own, and they're a lot more willing to give it. Not that a revival is about an offering. That's not the case at all. But, but when, someone's, when you're in a revival and, someone's, and people's affections is set heavenward, well, that, the effect of that is the things here have less significance to us. And when our priorities are oriented more eternally, we think of things that are temporal with less value than normal. So that's what you have going on here. You have an awakening. That's why we say this is not a, a policy the church enforced. This was, you call it, might call it grassroots. It's from the ground up. This is what God was doing in each person's heart. And it was a feature where it, everyone was doing it voluntarily. And so... It says, verse 33, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet. It's funny, the apostles' feet is mentioned three times in these few verses. It's mentioned in verse 35, verse 37, and in chapter, chapter 5, verse number 2, it's just kind of a, an odd thing to mention that many times. But it says, They laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now I'm going to just, just cover a little bit of what we studied before because this is repeated in the, in the narrative in Acts. The goods were distributed according to need. It was not a distribution to equalize everybody's standard of living. Uh, that's, a, that's a political thing. That's a pol political talk. You know, that you gather and redistribute, gather what everybody has and then re redistribute equally. And you know what? This is one of the, one of the problems in, that we have in missions. You know that? That Americans, with our understanding and standard of living, go to a mission field and we think that we are helping someone to bring them closer to our own standard of living. And that's an error. That's an error. 
You know, we, we enjoy, in, in, in our society, we enjoy abundance. I mean, ex- excess, abundance. That's why we have so much trouble uh, keeping the weight off, right? We have to stop because we have plenty. We have plenty. And really, that's just a kind of a physical symbol of the truth of, the truth of it all. You know, if you go to, you know, again, I was a missionary in Cambodia, so I know most about Cambodia, but it's true in a lot of places. If you go, if I, if I was to try to buy a car like I have, a 2016 Ford Explorer, which, I mean, it's just an average car. I mean, you see these everywhere, right? If I were to buy a car like that in Cambodia, I mean, I would expect to pay fifty or sixty or $70,000 easy. But, but we have it just commonly. We have it just commonly. That's, a, a, that's just our abundance, so the goods were distributed according to need. And of course, a need, we talked about that last time, a biblical standard for a need is food and raiment, clothing, food and raiment. Now, if someone doesn't have food and they don't have clothing, and I would add to that in that same line, that same spirit, shelter, because that's, that's similar to raiment, I would say that biblically they're poor. They are poor, right? So what I said last time is this. The needs were examined, the necessities were verified, and then the church helped. Now, we're going to see more about that in just a minute. The third thing I want you to see is that there were people in the church who were genuinely in need. Now, remember, the context of this is not the church is helping the poor outside. This is just the church helping one another that lack, that have need. This is within the body. Now, at this point, I mean, they're... they're pushing 10,000 people that have believed in Christ, as far as we know from the text. But there's a lot of needs there. But here's the point. Here's the point. The number of the people in need was not small. And you think about people selling their land and, and turning over their goods voluntarily, you know, that's a, that would be a lot of money. I mean, just a lot of money. So the needs must have also been great. And, you know, it might be hard for us to understand as middle-class Americans because, really, we live in a unique time in history. We, we're middle-class people. We live in a society where we have social organizations that help people that are down on their luck or less fortunate. There's a social safety net that has been established, for good or for bad, by our government, both the federal government and the state government, things like Social Security, disability insurance. You have Medicaid if you have a medical problem. There's WIC. Uh, there's food stamps. There's all these things. Those are all part of a social safety net, and I'm not approving or disapproving of that. All I'm saying is that exists. So if a person is really poor and they need to go to the hospital, there's, all of us are paying for it. Or if somebody needs food or, or they need uh, basic necessities, I mean, there's housing, there's Section 8, and there's all kinds of things like that. And I know all that's not good, but at least it brings you out of the rain, right? Well, I guess there's some people that would be like, I'd rather be in the rain, maybe. But, but none of that was present at this time. None of it. How many of you have ever been to a place where people are actually poor? Have you, have you been to a place where it's there, there people are actually poor? Like, it is hand-to-mouth every day. We have a hard... I, I'm just saying, I'm an American. You can kind of nod if you agree. We have a hard time understanding that. We think poor people live in a... You know, live in certain kind of houses or, you know, have a 
beat up car or something. But when you're talking about these were poor and lacked, these are necessities. There were people in the church that were this way. How, now, how does that work with the prosperity gospel and live your best life now? They had believed in Christ. They were believers. And this is at a high point spiritually, and yet what do you find? You know what you find? They're still poor. That didn't rid the, believe me in Christ, didn't rid them of all their problems. And so this disproves the prosperity gospel. These people had genuine hardship. And this is before persecution touches them. They hadn't even gotten to that yet. Uh, this, is a, this is a hard time for the church. And they're in a, but they're in a thriving spiritual environment. But what you do see, though, is this is the fourth thing I want you to see, and we'll spend a little extra time here, is that the church did help the poor. The church did help the poor within the church. Now, again, when we say the poor, we have to understand that when we say poor and when we're reading poor, we're, we're really talking apples and oranges here. They're not really the same. But they are the principles do transfer, okay? Look at, hold your place here and look at Deuteronomy chapter 15. Now, last time we talked about the poor, we saw that there is a priority. There's a priority. In other words, the Lord tells us to help the poor, but he says, especially in, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, I believe it is, he tells us specifically to do good to those who are of the household of faith first. You say, well, that's not very fair. Well, that's what God said to do with the Jews. He said, preach the gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So the, the idea is you, you prioritize things. How many, of you, how, how many of you prioritize things in your life? Of course you do. You prioritize your family before everybody else. You should prioritize your family before people in the church. You can't have people in church pulling you away so you can't do your duty and do what you should do to, toward your family. And I know this can all be taken to excess and family can pull you away from God. I know all that. But I'm speaking in general terms, in general terms. Deuteronomy 15, verse number 7. Look at what it says. If there be among you, now this is written to the Hebrew nation. If there be among you a poor man of one of thy Brethren, You notice that? This is not any nation. This is specifically the people of Israel. Within any of thy gates of the, in thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Now that doesn't... Now remember... When you read in the King James Bible, you read the word want. It doesn't mean desire. It means lack. It means lack. All right. Verse 9. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying the seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother. The evil eye is covetousness. And thou givest him not, and he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be sin unto thee. Thou shalt surely give him. And thine heart shall, be, shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him. The Lord, is he, not, is he not touching every part of it? He's telling you what you should do. He's telling you when you should do it, to whom you should do it. And then he's telling you the heart you should have when you do it. That's what makes the heart. I'll give it to him. 
as long as I have to be nice about it and don't have to like it. And he says, no, you, gotta, you can't be grieved either. Because that for this thing, the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. For the poor shall never cease out of, thy, out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand up wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to the need, thy needy in thy land. Now here's what, here's what you have. When you take an Old Testament principle and you see the same thing applied in the New Testament, but it, this is the Old Testament, Israel. Now we know there's differences between Israel and the church, but the principle is they were to help their poor brother, the Hebrew. Now we know we don't have ethnic groups that are, you know, in the church. It's all ethnic groups, right? It's not a single ethnic group. But we do have brothers. But you see this, the priority of the poor brother. And the Lord is very specific about that. Look at James chapter 2, if you would. James chapter 2, verse 15. says this, verse 14, just to get the context, faith and works. This is actually, what I'm going to read is actually kind of a passing reference, an illustration, but it still applies. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, what does this brother or sister lack? Food and clothing. There it is again. The two come together. And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace. Be ye warmed and filled. I, I, I don't know. I can't resist but saying, Be ye warmed and filled. I should say, Be ye warmed and filled. But I always want to add that tone to it to make it sound so nice. Be warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Notice. Notice what it says. Uh... If a brother or sister, there's that principle again, the priority of the, the family of God first. The family of God. All right, look at 1 John chapter 3. Now, does this mean we don't help other people out that aren't believers? No, of course not. First John 3, verse 17. Well, verse 16. I always write down the verses, and I want to read stuff before it because the context is important. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You see that? Laying down one's life. If, if the Bible says we're to lay down our lives for one another then what about our goods? Definitely we should, that, that, that should come easier, right? But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need, notice his brother, have need, remember what a need is, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My brethren, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, notice the mention of Love. Now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 
verse 8. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 are almost universally preached at missions conferences because the idea of offerings and things like that. But actually, does anybody know what the context of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is? It's the offering that they were taking up was for what? It was for poor saints. It was for the poor saints at Jerusalem who were under persecution. So it got worse from where we're reading in Acts. Chapter 8, verse 8, the Bible says this. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. You know what that is? That, that verse, a beautiful verse, occurs right in the middle of a section where the Lord's talking about helping those that are poor in the church. The example of helping a poor brother or sister is Jesus, who relinquished all of his honor, all of his majesty, to come down to earth to die poor, to die as a sinner, though he'd never sinned, on a cross. That we might be rich. Are we not heirs of all things? That's what the Bible says, Romans chapter 8, right? Heirs of all things. What does that mean? That means every believer, every member of the church of God is going to, with Christ, own all things. It just blows your mind, don't it? All things. Anything that Jesus owns, being in Christ, we are heirs together with him. We're co-heirs, joint heirs. That means whatever he owns, we own. He made us rich by his poverty. So if the Lord is the example, look at chapter, uh, chapter uh, I'm sorry, verse 13. And I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened. Why do we have to help the poor? Why don't I let somebody else help? But by inequality. That now at this time, your abundance may be a supply for their want, lack. That their abundance also may be a supply for your want. That there may be equality. All right? Who knows if God gave, God blessed us with excess so that we could help those that are in true need. That's, God does that. In the church now. We're not talking about people out. That's a separate question. Look at chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work, as it is written. He hath dispersed abroad. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower... Both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. The Lord is saying, you help the poor in the body of Christ, God will take care of you. That's what this is saying. Being enriched in every, everything to the all bountifulness which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, 
but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whiles, by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and to all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Now stop there. Imagine being those poor saints in Jerusalem who are losing house, land, property, gold, silver, clothing. They're losing everything. Persecuting. Because listen, persecution is not just about jail. It's not just they fine you. They confiscate property. Uh, This is... You think about, think about anything that wicked men can do to harm a believer for their faith, they will do it. They will impoverish. That is, that is common throughout history. That is common. And so these saints in Jerusalem are holding fast to their faith, and then all of a sudden, here this money comes from some Gentile church a thousand miles away, Corinth, in the province of Achaia in Greece, thousand miles away or however far it is. It's a long ways away. And here, here, come, here comes Paul. Here comes Paul and Silas and the others that, that they selected to carry it to Jerusalem. Here they come to basically rescue these people. This is what happened. Why did they do it? How can we not? They're impoverished. They're, 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 they don't have what they need for their, to, for their daily life because of their faith. We need to help them. Here's the thing. Here's the thing I want you to understand. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very careful about sending money. And we, we have to be careful, generally speaking, when it comes to sending money to like national pastors and things like that. Because, uh, because some, some of that is, some of that is can, it can be shady. Some of it can be shady. Um, because we, we see, oh, well, he lives in this kind of house, and it's not like my house, so we should send him money. But, but you have to understand, in that context, he's, he's average. But there are cases when people are destitute. People are destitute. And so we have to keep that in mind. Let's listen to uh, just a few more verses here. Um, Chapter 9 and verse number 8, we read down through verse, ah, verse 15, I'm sorry, lost my train of thought there. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Again, God himself is the example of giving. Now I want to read you a few verses out of Proverbs about what, what the Lord says about the poor, okay? Because what we see is the church did help the poor, all right? Sometimes in our church, from time to time, of course, we don't have any, as far as I know, we don't have any other churches that's biblically poor. But that doesn't mean that we can't apply this in times when people have needs. And when you find out, and when I find out that somebody has a need, we ought to be fighting one another to fill that need. Right? We ought to be racing to fill that need. Even at our own, at personal expense, sometimes we think, "Oh, well, the church will take care of it." Whoa, 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 you are the church. I am the church, right? You could do it independent. Well, that'll cost me money. I already tithe. Do we? We need to read chapter eight again, right? Ministering bread for the seed of the sower and bread for your food. The Lord takes care of that. Proverbs fourteen. Listen to this. I'll just I'll just read these. 
You, I can give you the references if you want them. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. The righteous considereth the cause of the poor, but the wicked regardeth not to know it. She's talking about the virtuous woman. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. Now, as we said, as I, as I close, as I said, even though the Lord says all this about the poor in Proverbs, we see in practice there's a priority to the church, to those within the church. You know, one of the reasons that is is because I don't know about you, but it is very difficult for me when I'm approached by someone who asks me for money. It is very difficult for me, my conscience. Because I know that often people that are panhandling, now there are some true, true, you know, true people that are, are having a hard time. But you don't know. You don't know. If you are feeding a meth habit or an alcohol addiction, you, you don't know if, if they're just playing you. I mean, we, we live in America. Now, if you went to a place like Cambodia or uh, one of the countries in Africa, and there are people literally, I mean, in absolute filth by the side of the road begging for food as you walk into the market, I mean, that's their life. I mean, that's their life. But it's, I, I, for me personally, it's hard. It's hard. And as I was preparing this message and thinking about what it says, because these are some Pretty, uh, pretty pointed verses, right? What the Lord says about closing your ears to the poor and stuff like that. And I was like, Lord, I, I don't know how I, I don't know the right way to apply this all the time. Sometimes I, I don't feel comfortable giving people money because I, I, I don't know what, what they're going to do with it. So we just got to pray and, and, and seek the Lord's wisdom in that. But in the church, in the church, of course, everybody's a Christian when they're asking, when, you know, everybody's a Christian when they're asking. For but in the church, it is a safe place where if there is a need, you can help them and not, not bat an eye. I can help them not think twice about it. You know it's going, you know, you, you, know, you, hand, you hand money to Emily because Emily's poor. She looked over there like, look, Emily's poor. She could use some money. You had her... She's not going to buy alcohol with it. She's not going to buy meth with it. She's going to use it for whatever she needs. You know, that's in the church. That's the way it is. And so that gives us a place where we can show mercy to the poor. But on the other hand, the church's purpose is not a social organization. And that's where the world, the world loves the church that is a social organization. They have no problem at all with the social organizations. What the world wants the world wants a church that is a social organization, doesn't believe in anything, doesn't preach anything. That's what the world wants. But that's not what the purpose of the church is. The purpose of the church is to be a gospel preaching organization, if you will. So these things are not, these things about helping the poor and stuff are not to be the only thing that there is. 
We have a higher calling than that even. Remember even Peter said to the, to the man begging as he went into the temple, he said, silver and gold, have I none? In other words, it wasn't, it wasn't the, his only priority. It was, his, it, it was something that he did as he had opportunity, but, uh, but he kept focus on what the church was supposed to be. And so that gives us a little bit of insight as to what's going on in, uh, in Acts chapter 4 with the church and how they're helping people in the church that are poor. Let's pray.